Want to buy Bitcoin with your IRA? Don't waste your time on expensive IRA custodians. A strategy called a QRP is as easy as writing a check. Find out how. Text 44222 and type QRP book. That's one word. And get a free book that explains everything. Again, that's 44222 QRP book. One word. It's the easiest way to make Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies part of your retirement. Welcome to the future. You're listening to the Consensus Network. Consensus Network. Consensus Network. With Buck Joffrey. Hello, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Consensus Network Weekly Crypto News. Uh, today is uh, October 24th, 2018. The cryptocurrency market capitalization is pretty flat still, $210 billion, as is the price of Bitcoin. Flat, 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 $64.23 uh, as of uh, just now on Coinbase. Uh, the headlines for today, uh, Bakht announces a launch date. The CBOE meets with the SEC to discuss ETFs. That's a mouthful, right? And uh, Goldman Sachs makes a huge investment in crypto, a crypto custodian, and, and Coinbase dominates the crypto world. All this and more after this from our sponsors. Now, there isn't much more exciting than cryptocurrency, but there are old-fashioned ways of creating wealth outside of Wall Street that have been used by the wealthiest families in the world for generations. And that's what my other podcast is all about. It's called Wealth Formula Podcast. Now, if you've made a lot of money in crypto and don't know what to do next, this show might actually answer a lot of those questions, too. Again, it's Wealth Formula Podcast with me, Buck Joffrey. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I want to start out by talking about Bakht. Now, Bakht announced a launch date, and that is important news. So let's go back to what it is. So Intercontinental Exchange, the owners of the New York Stock Exchange, have announced that Bitcoin futures contracts will be physically settled daily uh, via this new platform called Bakht beginning on December 12, 2018. Now, we've talked about this before, the Intercontinental Exchange, you know, huge name in this whole uh, traditional financial, institutional financial world. Uh, and for it to have a regulated cryptocurrency marketplace is a big deal. Um, and I would say that this is certainly, in my view, the biggest news for Bitcoin of the year and we've been talking about it for a while. It's not like this is new. But what we haven't been able to do is get an actual date. And that's what we have now. It's December 12th. Um, now, this uh, this is really the first opportunity. And what this means is that this is really the first opportunity for institutional investors to get into the crypto world uh, with a respected known quantity uh, like the Intercontinental Exchange. This is really important, folks. I mean, you and I... Uh, as you know, individuals don't 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 make as big a deal of this, but known quantities are huge in this institutional world. Um, and what else is important about Bakht is this idea of physical settlement, right? And what that means is that they're futures contracts, but they actually have to buy and store Bitcoin. 
So actual Bitcoin has to be pulled from the overall supply in order to satisfy contracts. Um, and that, therefore, because there'll only ever be 21 million Bitcoin uh, in circulation and less than that because of all of those um, lost over the years. But what that means is that that just creates demand, overwhelming demand for Bitcoin. And, and that's what we're going to see. Um, the, the alternative to a physically, uh, a physically satisfied contract, which is something that is actually not taking Bitcoin into, um, you know, physical, uh, uh, ownership, right? That's called a derivative, right? So a derivative is basically when things are based on prices of things, but you don't actually have to. Uh, own the Bitcoin, and that is much less likely to affect a Bitcoin price. But in this case, like I said, you have actual Bitcoin being pulled from circulation, creates significant more demand. It starts on December 12th. Now, do I think this overnight is going to create Bitcoin 20,000? No, I don't. I think it's going to be a gradual process. Um, but I think it is the beginning of a lot more to come. Speaking of a lot more to come and speaking of institutional buyers, we've also been talking about how the Chicago Board of Options Exchange, the CBOE, um, has been working on this electronic trading fund or ETF. So this week, uh, the CBOE met again with the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. See, there's a lot of letters in this just to confuse you, right? As CBOE met with the SEC to discuss the ETF that they are uh, currently trying to get through. Now, representatives from uh, the CBOE, SolidX, and VanX, who, who are all sponsoring this electronic trading fund, met with SEC Commissioner Elad Roisman on October 9th uh, to discuss the pending uh, ETF. Now, uh, the ETF application was initially rejected in March of 2017 for a variety of reasons. Uh, the most recent meeting was used by the ETF sponsors to argue that there were significant changes in circumstances uh, since the last rejection, and therefore it merited reconsideration of the product. And so, specifically, uh, the uh, CBOE and, uh, uh, and friends who were trying to sponsor this thing argued a, a few different things. One is that there were multiple regulated derivative markets now uh, that were uh, that that exist for Bitcoin, including the one from the CBOE itself, <clears throat> and that there was a uh, 150 to 200 million dollars uh, of daily trading volume of cleared Bitcoin futures on uh, the CME and CBOE combined. In other words, listen, a lot of jargon here, but what the point is, is that um, they're arguing that, hey, regulated derivative markets already exist and are flourishing in the space. And that argues to the point that, uh, one of the points that the SEC made when they knocked this ETF in the, down in the first place, which was that this market was not mature. And so what the... Uh, by this point, showing all of these derivative markets and how they're flourishing, um, the sponsors are basically saying, listen, the Bitcoin market has matured as an asset. Now, the second point that they brought up was that the ETF, um, the electronic trading fund that they were proposing, would use only over-the-counter trading desk price. Now, over-the-counter uh, trading 
um, are regulated strictly by the CFTC, and they're generally peer-to-peer. They follow strict regulations, and unless the actual platform itself manipulates the price, it cannot be manipulated. Um, And again, this is important because a major component of that rejection of the ETF was that Bitcoin, that the SEC said that Bitcoin prices were easily manipulated and continue to be manipulated. And so what the ETF people are saying is, hey, we're only going to use over-the-counter, highly regulated platforms. And over-the-counter platforms are a little different. So the one that um, I'm aware of and, and have used in the past is called Genesis Global Trading. And the big thing here is the trading's just a little bit different, right? So your your purchase does not necessarily affect the price of Bitcoin. Like if you're making a huge purchase, um, because it is, you know, you, you, you're basically buying from somebody who's selling and the price is sort of uh, predetermined. You're not buying as it goes like you do on, on, on Coinbase Plus um, or Gemini, whatever. And so that makes it much, much more difficult uh, to manipulate prices. Um, The third point was a proliferation of information uh, regarding uh, sharing agreements. So again, transparency, right? So there is a lot more transparency in this space. um, And we've got a lot of different big players in this, whether that be you know, Gemini or, or Coinbase and all these major, you know, Genesis Global, all these different major platforms that can start sharing um, sharing information. And that makes this area a lot more tr- uh, uh, transparent and easier and easier to regulate uh, nefarious activities. So that was the, the other point. And finally, the fourth point that was made was that the share price for each uh, share in this electronic trading fund would be $200,000 and effectively making it not a retail product. In other words, it won't be available to everyone. You're going to have to be an accredited investor and uh, an accredited investor or an institution. An accredited investor is basically somebody who makes at least $200,000 per year um, uh, or uh, $300,000 if uh, you're filing jointly or has a million dollars of net worth outside of um, your personal residence. So you can't just have a fancy big house in California and say, I'm an accredited investor. Anyway, the point of this, this is old, old law. This is stuff that's, you know, been around forever. But the idea is to protect consumers that are considered less sophisticated just purely because they have less money. Now, we can argue the merits of that, but that's just the that's the rules. And um, that's what they're saying. So you can see the entire argument on the SEC website um, if you go there. Uh, but suffice it to say that uh, the CBOE and team and the rest of them who are sponsoring this ETF did not mince words. They were pretty aggressive uh, and and argued their point that the SEC is being biased against digital assets. And that's why it's sort of you know punting this and delaying this. ETF uh, decision-making process, which of course it is, but they're going to have to do so by March of 2019 anyway, so they won't be able to push it push it down for long. The next story I want to talk about is that Goldman Sachs uh, made a huge investment in, in, in a crypto custodian. 
Uh, now, uh, so what is a custodian anyway? Because we you, know, you hear this nomenclature all the time. But basically, a, 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 cus, a custodian um, in this space is important because I can't remember the number, but I think it's, you know, generally if an institution or a fund has, I believe it's $150 million of assets under management or more, it has to use, it can't just store its own, um, you know, what it owns. They, if it's owning stock or whatever, you know, they, they can have their own little account with their name on it. It has to be uh, stored through a third party to prevent, you know, any sort of, um, you know, uh, follow play, I guess. And so these custodians are a big deal. And uh, we've announced before that Goldman Sachs was getting into the custodianship business itself. But, um, and this is, and, and so that, it makes this a little unusual, but Goldman Sachs emerged as the lead investor of, um, the, of the $58 million Series B funding round in uh, the crypto custodian known as BitGo, which is already an established custodian. And this is a big deal because, again, it gives legitis- legitimacy um, to institutional investors of a custodian um that deal uh, with cryptocurrency, right? You've got Goldman Sachs stamp of approval on BitGo now. Um, of course, you know, in 2019, we already know that we're going to have the likes of Fidelity. Um, and then, you know, now and then we'll have BitGo. BitGo already has about $2 billion of uh, customer digital assets under management, or not under management, but in custodianship already. So they're not small, and I suspect that's why Goldman's um, kind of getting involved with them. And I'm guessing they probably are probably thinking they're going to learn the business a little bit from them as part of this investment. So um, now, with the blessing of Goldman, BitGo, who has two billion of uh, customer assets already, um, they are apparently uh, targeting one trillion dollars in assets. Um, uh, for their custodianship once the institutional investors get in. If that's the case, ladies and gentlemen, and you own Bitcoin today, you are going to be a very, very happy person because, for reference, the entire cryptocurrency market uh, is about one-fifth the size of that $1 trillion market, right? We talked about that $200 billion about today. So that if, you, if, if Bitcoin alone has $1 trillion in assets, um, <laughs> that, that means the crypto market is enormous at that point. Next story is that Coinbase, um, just again, dominates the crypto world. They had a very, very big week. You know, they launched, uh, their own U S dollar coin, uh, and that is going to be backed one-to-one with U S dollars. Of course, this was, uh, in response, presumably, or, you know, or at least, um, you know, to to go uh, head-to-head with Gemini's recent U.S. dollar peg token, which we talked about literally last week on the news. How many of these do we actually need? Well, I guess we'll find out. Um, the interesting thing is that this is all coming on the heels of the failure of, uh, or the apparent failure of Tether, which is continuing to be a story in of itself. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail in there as we've talked about it uh, before, but um, Tether is was the first U.S. Uh, U.S. dollar peg token, and it it sounds like it might be unraveling, and it may not be the case that it's actually backed by the dollar, and that's why um, there is this space open for these others to get in to the space and uh, become the dominant uh, um, 
pegged coin. Uh, Coinbase also this week, as I mentioned, they had a big week. They also announced that they got themselves a custodian license. So again, the goal, of course, here is to compete for all the big money coming into crypto, right? You need, as we just said a, a, a second ago, a custodian is needed. If you've got, I think, and I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm, you know, I'm certainly no expert in this, but I believe it's 150 million dollars uh, of assets under management in your fund. You must use a custodian, and. So think about it in terms of Coinbase, right? So they want people, Coinbase, Coinbase Plus, um, they want people, they want institutions to buy lots and lots of cryptocurrency from them. And so um, if they're going to do that, they need to make it as attractive as possible, right? You don't want to say, okay, well, you're going to buy from Coinbase, then you're going to move it over to BitGo, and then, you know, and that kind of thing. What they're trying to do is create all-in-one solutions, again, targeting big, big money. And it's a, this, at the end of the day, everything I'm talking about here may sound like, okay, who cares, right? Who cares? But we should care if we own cryptocurrency or if we're in that market. Why? Because it's good for us little guys, because the easier it is for the big money to get into crypto, these big clunky machines with hundreds and billions of dollars to just put into the uh, into the cryptocurrency market, the higher the overall crypto market capitalization goes over the next few years, and the more money we make for being uh, good at getting in quicker than all of those uh, clunky large players. So again, a good argument to potentially get in now. Um, the final story I want to talk about uh, literally uh, just popped up this morning, which I think was really interesting. It is that Japan uh, grants cryptocurrency, um, uh, the cryptocurrency industry there, a self-regulatory status. Now, we've been talking about these institutions and were you know these these old-fashioned words and 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 things like cftc and sec and we talked about the cboe trying to get an etf and i mean listen I'm, most people don't know all of these who these regulatory firms are they don't know what these products are they don't know what the what the platforms are they don't know any of this stuff and why because well, this is the stuff of old-fashioned finance, right? This is Wall Street stuff. And um, so the question is, does it make sense to try to fit crypto uh, into those old standards of regulation? I think, it is my opinion, that it's hard. And uh, more importantly, and not only is it hard, but it has the potential to stifle technology. Now, what we're already seeing is important projects, interesting projects, innovation, moving out of the U.S. and moving into places like Indonesia, um, presumably Japan, um, other places that are, uh, that are allowing for greater flexibility and less onerous regulatory uh, uh, environments. Um, and so what you're seeing is that these projects are moving away from the U.S. and they're even not allowing U.S. investors to get into the opportunities ahead of time. You know, they're not uh, they're not opening up their pre-sales 
uh, to U.S. investors, et cetera, because, again, you know, they don't want to get involved. Our system is a very, very onerous system, and whereas it, it certainly um, it certainly helps people uh, not to become victimized, um, we, have a, uh, we have a situation here where we have a very, very quickly evolving marketplace and economy. You know, Japan has been um, at the forefront of cryptocurrency in many ways, um, and and I wonder if they're probably recognizing that in doing so, they may be. This may be one of the keys of them getting um, getting out of a two decade long depression uh, or recession or whatever you want to call it, stagflation. Um, you know, today uh, Japan's financial services agency gave uh, this cryptocurrency. Uh, uh, industry self-regulatory status, okay? And so what that means is that they're saying, hey, we're not going to use these same standards, whatever we have in our, you know, our, our current financial system to try to understand, you know, how to regulate something that we don't understand. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to permit the Japanese Virtual Currency Exchange Association um, the opportunity to regulate itself because they know they know what's going on. They're not going to put like 100-year-old regulations on this in something that makes it very, very difficult to navigate. Uh, one senior Japanese official was quoted as saying, it's a very fast-moving industry and it's better for experts to make rules in a timely manner than bureaucrats. Now, I suspect this move, um, uh, you know, on the part of Japan to make this market more nimble and less shackled by regulatory issues will certainly improve um, their uh, opportunity to get, you know, a great deal of, of, of this kind of technological business and innovation in Japan. What I worry about is that we are, in the U.S., not doing enough to make sure we get our share of the pie, right? I mean, we are... I think we're, in many ways, even though a lot of the really smart people in cryptocurrency and distributed ledgers and blockchain and all these things are Americans, uh, our, our system, our government, our regulatory systems, et cetera, are getting sort of in the way. And I think we need to address that. Um, but th all that said, in the big picture, again, I think it's all good news. Why? Because we have governments, in this case Japan, recognizing the importance of what's going on and what they're doing to make it quicker, more nimble, and uh, other countries are going to see that, and they are sure to follow, and hopefully the U.S. is one of them. So we see again all this activity laying the groundwork for this herd of institutional money that presumably will hit in 2019, and amidst all of that great bullish news. Again, Bitcoin is flat. It is flat this week. Um, in fact, I read somewhere that it was less volatile this week than Amazon. Now, anyway, don't ask me why. I'm not a trader. But I do see an opportunity when I see one, uh, and it's called buying Bitcoin right now before uh, the big dogs get in the game. That's not financial advice. That is my opinion. Uh, so definitely check that out. And, and I should point out that, um, as you'll see in an upcoming podcast um, interview, there are some people who still think that, you know, we have some space on the downside here, that, 
you know, we, you know, just because we're at, we've been around 64, 6,500 between, frankly, between 60, probably about 6,300 and 6,600, um, you know, for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, and that's not normal for Bitcoin usually, right? We see usually that volatility with the minutes, but, um, even despite that, I there are some people out there who think that for trading reasons, technical trading reasons, that there could be a big stumble uh, in this market um, uh, before it goes back up and, and before we have another Bitcoin bull market, which, hey, I don't know. Maybe it's true. But the reality is if Bitcoin goes to $1,000 before it goes to $500,000, um, you know, I'm still bullish. I, I think the, the, the way, you know, the way to approach this is the way we're doing it right now, which is to understand that this thing that we're talking about is, is real, um, that it is an opportunity potentially of a lifetime. Uh, and if you want to get involved, now is the time to do it. Let me remind you, by the way, uh, if you want to figure out how to start getting into this stuff, go to consensusnetwork.io. And we have a bunch of um, tutorials on there that'll be really helpful. Against that's consensusnetwork.io. And also let me remind you to email your questions to me so that I can answer them on an upcoming show. I don't do those on these news segments, but I do them on the other podcasts of the week generally that are uh, following interviews, etc. So if you want to email me a question, certainly do that at um, by email by emailing info at consensusnetwork.io uh, or go to consensusnetwork.io and leave me a voicemail. That's what I prefer, although it sounds like so far people have not really um, wanted to have their voices revealed on Consensus Network, which is fine. But anyway, that it is it for me this week on the Consensus Network Weekly Crypto News. Uh, this is Buck Joffrey signing off.